We're going to continue in worship this morning together, uh, this morning in the Word. Um, hope you, really hope you had an awesome New Year's. Uh, you've heard a lot of uh, kind of crazy things happening, so uh, hopefully you had a blessed time last night and uh, ready to get after it. By the way, just for the record, in case you are wondering, my voice sounded like this yesterday morning, so this isn't a New Year's Eve thing, um, although we were a little loud last night. Okay. Um, so just, just kind of change gears for a little bit, um, and it's been kind of crazy. Um, who was able to come out to the barn service at the Brink Farm, right? That was such a sweet time out there. I know some of you wanted to come out and couldn't make it out for various reasons, and we missed you who couldn't make it. I know there was lots of things that came up, and I know what, I think one person was trying to find it and couldn't find it, which I was kind of super devastated to hear that. But um, just wanted to give props again to the Brink family for having us out there. They don't have to do that. They just want to do that, and it's just an awesome time to worship Jesus together. Had a, uh, can't believe it's been since Christmas we've been together, so um, so I say changing gears because we came out of the Christmas series, obviously, wrapped that up, and we're going to jump back into the Gospel of Mark now. And so if you've not been coming to Family Bible for a while, or maybe, you know, you've come for the first time today even, um, this is a series where we're studying the Gospel of Mark together. And I'm not going to do a whole review because it's too much to review even four chapters in. But I do want to kind of remind all of us what we talked about, which is that Mark is a very accelerated Gospel, and he's very much about the point of Jesus being the Messiah. I mean, he doesn't even um, make any room for you to not believe that Jesus is God. He just presumes that in the text. Jesus is God. It's just the way it is. And so we're kind of working from that idea. It goes very quickly. We don't hear the birth narrative. We don't hear the Christmas story in Mark. He just goes right into Jesus' ministry. Jesus is here. The Messiah has come. And then the other thing I want to remind you of, other than that we're studying the Gospel of Mark, is... That, um, and I'm super excited about today's text, you know. I was really torn about it. I thought, maybe we should spread it out over a couple of weeks. But man, I just really want to talk about it together as a, as a pretty large piece of text. But it's so incredible, uh, the truth of what we see revealed in the Scripture um, because of Jesus Christ. And so we want to talk about that today. But before we do, I, I want to remind you one other thing, which is that Jesus said to his, some of the disciples, he called 12 to him, and he said, you will be my apostles, and I'm going to apostle you. Right? And he said it back in chapter 3, I believe it was, where he said, I'm going to send you out into the world. And so we've been talking about how Jesus says that, but then doesn't do it immediately. And we have this apostolic training period, which is what we're in right now in the text. This time where Jesus is demonstrating to his disciples who he is and what he's about. And it's easy for us sometimes to read the scriptures and just say, oh, it's all the same, right? I can take a verse from here and a verse from there, and it's all the same. But there is this continuity of narrative where we hear that Jesus has called people to send them into the world, but he wants to get them ready before he sends them. I don't know if you're like me and you're thinking about 2017, how awesome it might be, right? That's what I'm thinking about, how awesome it might be. And maybe some of you are thinking, man, I'm glad 2016 is over, <laughs> right? There's like a completion thing happening in, in the new year as well. Whew! That one's done. Let's start again. It's like the Etch-a-Sketch, right? But I want to remind you that in our culture where we always want things instantaneously, and we always want things easy as well, we don't want to fight or struggle or, 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 or suffer for it. But the truth is that Jesus is one who come teaching a, a, a gospel of time, a, a gospel of patience. Indeed, like we talked about at the Christmas Eve service, this entire season of life, these thousands of years, have been God's grace to unrepentant sinners that we might be saved. And for all those who say, oh, Jesus, just come right now, just come right now. It's a good longing of our heart, but how many more still need to hear the good news of Jesus that they might be saved? And this is a season of grace, no matter the difficulty. And so we're going to talk about that today. Jesus teaching his disciples through his patience, his perseverance, but his modeling 
that he's going to send them out, but not yet. And we should be comfortable waiting in that same space with Jesus. I, I did something for the Christmas series. I don't know if anybody noticed it. A few people mentioned it to me. Um, but I didn't pray before we got into the text. I just wanted to feel the difference of that. I don't know, is that right to do that? But I want to get back to that because it's so important. We enter into God's word. You don't want to hear from me or my great thoughts. You really don't. I'm not that smart. But we want to hear, you want to hear in your life right now where you are from God. What is God saying to you? What does his word reveal to you? What are you called to do because of it? That's what I want to hear today as well. So I'm going to ask that we do what we do, and we're going to pray together this morning that God would inspire his word, inspire the words that you hear through the Holy Spirit, that we might be changed. Join me in prayer if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the chance to come and worship you anew, worship you again another year to sing praises and glory to a king who is tarrying that we might be saved, that we might share good news. And Lord, as we come into your household today, this middle school here, we just bring uh, the recognition of your presence, that we know you, and you're not just here, you're everywhere in our lives. We thank you so much that the gospel is applying to us all the time, and that our sins are paid for on the cross all the time, even indeed before we commit them, which is remarkable. And Father, today, as much as we're able, for those who are seeking you, I pray that we would have a heart that's open to the truth, just willing to receive it, that no man would have to convince someone else to believe, but that you, your Holy Spirit, would indeed compel belief in a non-believer today. And for those of us who've been following you and maybe struggling, maybe it's very real, that we would glean some things from the Word that would give us assurance in your presence, in your hope, in your love for us. We, we know you are a good Father, and we know that you love us more than we could ever imagine. So this morning, as we enter into your word, help us to experience that love that we might turn or return to you and know that you are good. We love you so much. We thank you for the testimony of your word and the Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to turn to the gospel of Mark chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab one off the chair row. I would encourage you um, to get your eyes on the text for yourself. Um, and see what the word says. And we're going to be working in verse 35 and on. So we're going to start up in verse, chapter 4, verse 35. And we're going to move forward from there. We're going to kind of talk through it as we go here. So um, again, quite a bit to cover today. So we're just going to pick it up in verse 35. This is what the word says. That same day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, in case you weren't here on, what was it, like the um, November 20-something, we did this last, right? I want to remind you that Jesus was standing in a boat. You remember that? He had gone out to preach to the crowds on the shore. And there were so many that he got into a boat and was pushed out that he might speak to them. And you remember that he taught them many parables. And you can read all this if you want to in the earlier part of chapter 4. But he taught about the kingdom of God, about the sowing of seed, about the sower sowing the word. And so we have this um, moment now after that day. As a matter of fact, I will say one thing to you that I thought was interesting right before, this, this passage from 33 to 34 is probably a side comment by Mark the author. We have the testimony of Jesus, his teaching of the parables, but then Mark says this, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, those who were gathered, and as much as they could understand, he did not say anything to them, not using a parable, but when he was alone with the disciples, he explained everything. That probably doesn't mean he explained it right there in the moment on the boat. 
Because what we see very next in the text is this. That same day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Jesus is embarking upon his ministry, his discipleship training, his apostleship training for those who are following him. And as soon as he's done speaking the message, he stays in the boat and he says, okay, let's go over here. There's something urgent I need to attend to on the other side of the lake. And it's important, I think, to catch that in the text. That he goes right from teaching. And we're going to see some affirmation of that, I think, in the text as well. That, that, that there's an urgency to what Jesus is doing. So he teaches, he has time, and he teaches the parables. And he says, okay, let's go. Now look what it says in verse 36. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. Interesting words there, by the way. Catch that. Just as he was in the boat. Who? The apostles, the disciples took Jesus along with them. That's a funny thing. Didn't he say we're going to the other side? Isn't that what just happened? But it says they took him and didn't just take, they took him just as he was. That, that literally, I mean, to me, if you think in your imagination here a little bit, it means he didn't get out of the boat and go freshen up. He didn't go grab the bag he left behind in the house he'd been staying at. Everything he had he needed was in the boat. And they just took him. And they took him. Didn't he take them? I think that's just a funny way to put that. But no, the disciples took Jesus with them in the boat. When Jesus said, go, we're going to go, we go. Just as he is. Everything that he has and nothing else. And so they move on in the boat together. Little details, check it out. Because we know what's coming, right? Do you know what's going to happen in the story? They're going across the lake in a boat. <laughs> it's going to be smooth sailing, fast journey. Have you read the Bible? Boat stories are terrifying in the Bible. They are. If Jesus says get in the boat, you might go, oh, wait a minute. I'll walk around with the crowd. 37. A furious squall came up and waves broke over the boat so much that it was nearly swamped. I'm just going to stop. I want to kind of go on, but I'm just going to stop there a minute. So they leave the shore, the safety of the shore, and, and, they, and did I miss something here? I want to see. Well, let me see something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Check it out. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as they were, I knew I missed something, in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. So it wasn't just the boat that Jesus is in, but other people who were on the shore who were like, I I'm, gonna, I'm not going back, I'm going to hang out with you, Jesus. They pushed their boat out in the water and hopped in a boat and said, we're going to go with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go with you. So it's not just the ones who got in the boat with him, but he has other boats with him. And at that point, this little fleet of ships is going across the boat, the, the lake. And at that moment, a storm blows up in front of them. So much so that they thought that the boats were going to be swamped. How many of you have been in a boat before? I mean, probably all of you, right? Yeah. How many of you are in a boat a lot? A few, a few of you, yeah, maybe. How many of you have been in a boat that is sinking? One, two, few? A boat that's swamped? Have you been in a boat that's swamped? I, I, I've, been, I've been in boats that leak, you know, you, you, you rent a boat somewhere, maybe a kayak, or, or you have a, you forget to put a plug in, you forgot to put a plug in a boat, it starts to sink. But have you ever been in a boat that's being swamped? I, I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, what, what in the world's going on in the disciples' lives here, in, the, in their experience, their real experience? Jesus had been teaching in this boat, it obviously was seaworthy, right? I mean, it wasn't sinking slowly over time, he was in it teaching probably all day. But here they go across the, by the way, setting out to sea at night, let's just think about that too. When the evening came, they set out to go across the lake in the dark. So now you have the waves crashing. 
the word actually means a furious windstorm came up. This isn't a gentle spring rain. This is a storm, a tempest, a squall. A squall is a funny word for a storm. I don't call it a squall. But it means the winds were whipping and blowing. Things are going crazy and the boat's going under. I do have a story about swamping a boat. Uh, my dad lives, uh, lived on the Osage River in Missouri. And in the Osage River, there's an old dam. And you can't cross it because there's a dam and there's all this. But there's a side over here. It's a channel you can go through. And in pretty good weather, you can just kind of drive up there. And it's kind of fun. It's got a spillway. And if you just get your boat just right, it'll go up over the spillway. And you're up in the top part of the river. It's pretty cool. Can't do it all the time. The water's too low. Well, one time we were going through there in the boat. And we somehow, we did, it wasn't doing anything crazy. We had five people, six people on the boat. And we went to go up over it. And the boat dipped down. And the spillway came over the bow of the boat. I can tell you that this trip that went from being very fun and enjoyable, very like, hey, don't even worry about wearing your life jacket yet. You know, you're going to be fine. Let's just, like, we can't wait to get up there where the water's, you know, deeper and smoother. It's going to be so cool. We never get up there. You don't want to get up there. To terrifying. To people grabbing the small children. To things floating out of the boat. To it going under. It was going down. The water all of a sudden wasn't safe. It was violent. It wasn't fun. It was terrifying. I mean, literally, the boat was being swamped. As a matter of fact, just to put a point on it a little bit, the only thing that saved that boat from going under was that the boat was made from, um, the boat was uh, a polystyrene, I guess. It was, it was foam-filled, so it could not sink. So literally, when we got back down on the bottom side of the river, only, only the top edges of the boat were, everything was floating. Everyone was shaken, right? My dad was trying to explain why it wasn't his fault, <laughs> like any good man. <laughs> I, I didn't do that. That's being in a boat in a swamp. But you know what? That wasn't a storm. That was just being swamped. I remember another time, I'll tell you, Lake Carlisle. How many of you been to Lake Carlisle before? Almost everybody, right? Yeah, out there. We were fishing with my wife's grandfather, my brother-in-law Rich and I. And we were out there, and we were fishing. And we're not good fishermen. He's a great fisherman. We were fishing in out at, in, I'm just trying to give you some picture, because this is my little experience. Maybe you've had more than this, right? But he looks into the distance. Now, he's a wise man. He's a wise man. And he says, boys, we were probably in the early 20s, maybe late 20s, something like that. Uh, there's a storm coming. We should probably head back to the dock. What do you think? <laughs> we think the fishing's good. That's what we thought. Gr Grandpa, let's just stay for a little bit. Well, I don't know. No, no, let's stay, let's stay. His boat, by the way. So we stay and we fish. And the wind starts to blow, sure enough. Oh yeah, there's a storm coming. But we're still like, let's fish a little, because we got no sense. Let's fish a little more. I mean it, I'm not joking, this is a true story. Then finally grandpa goes, all right, that's it. Get your rods in, we're going. And, and we begin to drive back across like tiny Lake Carlisle. It, it's, it's like not that dangerous, right? But we're in an aluminum bass boat, our fishing boat, and He's in the driver's seat. He's got that tiny windshield. And, and we try to push against the wind, and it's just so violent. It's so, it's bang, the boat's bang, and all the gears bouncing. And I remember, I'll probably never forget it. I remember two thoughts being so clearly in my mind. One, we're idiots. Rich and I are idiots, first of all. No one should ask our advice ever again. And secondly, he is such a patient and loving man because he's over there, and he's just 
got his squint face on because the storm is blowing. I mean, the rain was like pellets in our skin. And we started to think we might not make it back. And we pushed. There was a third thing. When we got to the dock and we got that boat loaded, and we got in the dry car, we were like, wow, how foolish. He never took us fishing again. That's true too. He didn't tell us he wouldn't. He just didn't. This is the storm. The boat's going under. Except it's nighttime. It's not daytime. It's not a spillway. It's a storm. The winds are blowing. And they're freaking out. The disciples, the apostles. Now check it out. Verse 38. Jesus was in the stern. The stern means the back in case you don't. I didn't know that. I had to look it up, right? He was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Jesus is asleep in the storm. Check it out. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? What? I, I want to say a couple things here. First of all, the storm's been blowing and Jesus is sleeping. That's already amazing enough. He's sleeping in the storm. You can say that a couple of different ways. Indifference or he's not concerned. He knows it's fine. Or he's exhausted. It's been a long day. He's sleeping on a cushion. The disciples have probably debated, should we wake Jesus or not? Should, are we going to live or die here? How bad is this going to be? And it came to a breaking point where they could no longer help but to turn to Jesus. I hope you see that. I'm sure they didn't just go back and go, hey, it's some rough waters. Will you wake up and help us out? By the time you hear the accusation that they make, they say, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? They're, they're, by the time they get to that point, they're so um, incredibly uh, confused that he wouldn't already have woke up and saved them. Now he at least, he's in the back of the boat where you drive it. He at least didn't wake up and go, give me the wheel. I'll get us through it. I'll, I'll steer the boat. Set the sails this way or drop the, I don't know, you know, I'll, I'll help you. Instead, he's asleep. And they have this moment, and I want you to understand this, as a follower of Jesus, where they finally go, I can't handle the storm. I might really die. I think it's amazing they say, don't you care, though? See, I think this is interesting because there are times in our life where we're traveling with Jesus, we go through difficulty, and we begin to doubt his very nature. Does Jesus care? He's silent. He's absent. And in the moment, though, they turn to Jesus. Now, why didn't they go to him sooner? It doesn't say they couldn't have. Why, why didn't they just turn to Jesus earlier and say, there's a storm ahead? By the way, do you think Jesus was surprised there was a storm ahead when they went out in the way? Here we go, verse 39. Jesus got up right? Woke up, got up, stood up, rebuked the waves and the wind and said, be still and be quiet. Jesus got up in the boat and talked to the storm. By the way, didn't talk to his disciples yet. Dealt with the crisis. Stop it. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Again, I can't imagine the experience the disciples had in this moment. We get a 
a flavor of this, I think it's in Matthew. Oh, it's right here in 41 too. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They're amazed. As a matter of fact, someone has well said, the disciples went from fearing the storm to fearing the Lord. We're going to drown. We're going to drown. We're going to drown. What? Who is Jesus that he can command a storm in my life? Who is Jesus that he could calm the waves with, the, with his voice, speaking the words? I actually want to share something with you. This is, uh, I'll have it up here on the screen. This is from the book of Jeremiah. You don't have to turn there. But I want to share this because who, the question, who is Jesus, what does this mean, is, is, um, is powerful. And in Jesus, or in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35, this is what the word says. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, and check it out, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. That's no accident. I want to read around it a little bit. Right before that, in the book of Jeremiah, it says this. This is the promise I will make with my house of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest because I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Who is this indeed? It says, the Lord Almighty causes the winds to blow, the sea to rage, the storms to come. And in a moment, Jesus rebukes the same storm. The question of who he is, and I know you go, well, yeah, we get it, is Jesus, the Son of God, but he's demonstrating his authority over everything. He's demonstrating his connectedness to the one who makes the sea and the winds and the waves. This is Jesus' response then. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, he expects and believes that as he leads us through these, this life, that there will come a time where we might be afraid, but know that he is still in charge, even if he's sleeping in the boat. There comes an expectation that Jesus has for those who follow him to have faith in him, to believe him more than the storm. And so when these storms of life come, and they do, we might readily return turn to him in faith and not fear the storm. And I just think about that whole idea and how it's applicable right now in our lives. We hear the noise, the wind, the howling, the, the real danger where people really do drown. And yet we can turn to Jesus and say, we're going to drown. I don't know if we want to say, do you not even care if we're going to drown, indicting the Lord. But even that, he didn't cut him off or throw him out of the boat. He just said, how can you not yet believe? Why are you so afraid? The storms of life come, and we have to recognize that as we're going in this life, Jesus is with us. Look at, listen. He, he, we're going to have another storm coming up in, in Mark as well. But in this case, he's not elsewhere. He's there. He's not only there, he said, we're going to go to the other side. And he's actually got peace with the storm that we're in. He's got peace with the storm that they're in. And at just the right time, he rebukes it. So, 
I want to press forward a little bit now and talk about what Jesus is doing in his journey across the lake. Why this urgency? Why press out in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm, where he's going to terrify his apostles and disciples and the people in the little boats next to him, not just him, but everyone else, and amaze them with his ministry because the storms of life do come. Read with me, if you will, in chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of Gesenares. When Jesus got out of the boat, look at this, as soon as he steps on land, a man with the evil spirit came from the tombs to meet Jesus. This man had lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains, because he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. And no one was strong enough to subdue this man. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, and he would cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of Jesus, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you will not torture me. Because Jesus had said, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. I said Jesus had some urgency in why he would go and why go right from talking to one group to sailing across the lake to meet another. And we have here in this moment this man who comes to Jesus on the beach and immediately, and by the way, I just, this is what's amazing. This, this is all that storm analogy. The, the, the powers, the principalities that work in our lives that are creating the chaos around us, they know who Jesus is. They, they, they come to Jesus. They know and they say, they say, don't mess with us. Don't torture us, Jesus. Do you find that striking at all? That it's not, usually, it's not usually the first response to seeing Jesus that we in our flesh go, oh, it's the Lord, he's going to save us. But it's the, the um, brokenness and the desires and the sinfulness of our life that comes out in full force against Jesus first. I hope you see what I'm saying. That the first response to the gospel usually isn't like, yes, save me, Lord. It's like, no, I don't want anything to do with you. Get away from me. Don't torture me. Because Jesus elicits in us the response of his authority. He elicits in us a response from the principalities and powers that are in the spiritual battle that until now have been calmly ruling our lives. And by the way, let's just look at this storm in this guy's life. Do you think the storm in the lake was bad? It was a squall for one night, and it stopped when Jesus rebuked it. But this guy has been suffering alone in the tombs for years. I can't imagine living in the tombs. I can't imagine living alone. I want us to see this morning that in the Word we have this man who's been tortured and put upon by so many demons we're going to hear in his life that he self-isolates and he begins to self-destruct. I bet they did send people in to try to chain him up and restrain him. He's out of his mind. He's in the tomb screaming all night long, crying out. And then the ultimate, and Jesus said, no man hates his own body. Didn't Jesus say those words? But here we have a man who's cutting himself, trying to tear down the very temple that God had made. He had spoken, and he had spoken to existence. He had knit together in his mother's womb. And this man had come to such a place of depravity, of brokenness, of hopelessness, that he's trying to destroy himself. By the way, I don't think he's trying to kill himself. Probably could have done it. There's a battle in this guy. There's part that wants to live and part that wants to kill him, to, to die. There's parts that wants to injure himself. 
And the battle is real. The fight is real. And Jesus knows this. He's teaching on the side. He says, we got to go over there. They don't know why. When he gets there, this guy is going to come out. A battle not for a night, but for a lifetime of struggle for this guy. A storm that's been blowing in his soul. I'm cut off. I'm hopeless. I'm angry. And I don't know if you can relate to that at all, but I can relate to that guy. The storm that comes up. And the voice that comes to Jesus first is not us going, yes, you're here to save us, but no, get away from me. Jesus said, come out, you evil spirits. Storms of our life. Check it out. Verse 9. Then Jesus asks, what is your name? And he says, my name is Legion because we are many. And he begged Jesus again not to send him out of the area A large herd of pigs was feeding on the countryside nearby. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into those pigs. He gave them permission. Look at the word. He gave them permission. What? To leave the man. He gave them permission. He allowed them. They had no right to do it on their own. And the evil spirits came out and they went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, he says, I'm legion, right? Rushed immediately down a steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. You, you, I want you to just think about for a moment the reality that these spirits, that these the demons that have been in, living in this man, the spiritual warfare that had been happening was so severe that the moment they were released from the man, from the spiritual fight in this man's life into the pigs, the pigs immediately killed themselves. They drowned, isn't it ironic? They drowned themselves in the very lake. The disciples said, Lord, do not care if we drown. That's interesting. And, and you can think, I mean, this is a crazy story. Poor pigs. What do the pigs do? They're just out there in the field. And they're suddenly possessed. And I think it gives us some idea of the scale and scope. I was talking to a friend of mine. And we were contemplating this idea of how much depravity there is in the world, how much brokenness there is in the world. I've heard people say before, if God is so good, then why is the world so bad? If God is so good, why is there so much sin in the world? And the amazing thing was, for the first time it hit me, that if God were not restraining the battle, if God were not in this man's life, if he had not been preserving this man for this moment to meet Jesus Christ, he would have died long ago. That the battle in our lives is more profound than you can imagine. And praise God for the seasons of placid grace where everything is right with the world. But the fight, if God were to remove his sovereignty, if God were to remove his hand, if God were to give permission, it would be so much worse. I hope you see that. It's not a question of if God is good, why is the world so bad? But how bad would the world be without a good God? He's restraining evil. He's limiting the scope. He's demonstrating his authority. And in this story, listen to me, of one man. You think, Jesus, why would he care? He could have taken about the thousands. He could have gone to the synagogues. He sailed across the lake to go to one guy who was desperate for a savior, desperate for a solution. He cast them out. Fourteen goats tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the towns and countryside. Check it out. And the people went out to see for themselves what happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind. And they were terrified. 
they were afraid. And those who had seen it told the people what had happened with the demon-possessed man, told them about the pigs also. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Do you see the response of the people? They aren't like, yes, Lord, if you can do this for this man, will you come into my life and do that for me? Yes, here's my sin. I didn't have 2,000 demons, but I have these. Just deal with them and I will worship you forever. They say to Jesus, no, get away from us. Go, leave the area. I one time read this text and I thought, you know what this is about? They're pig farmers. And he's just wasted 2,000 pigs. And they don't want any part of that, so they drive them from their town. But as I was reflecting and thinking about the depravity of the world, the brokenness, and if, if every one of my battles were entered into a pig, if every one of your sins that Jesus nailed to the cross were allowed, permissed to leave you and go into something else in God's creation, there would not be enough pigs in the world. There would not be enough. The cost is too great. There are far too many struggles, far too many storms, far too many sins. They come out again, see the word, not welcome him with open arms and celebrating the restoration of one man, but saying, I'm afraid, get away from me, Jesus. Were they afraid that their sin might be found out too? The guys who had gone out and tried to handcuff this man, the women who had sneered and told their children to stay away from that weirdo over there, when they saw the weirdo restored, the, the broken man healed, they were more afraid of their own brokenness than the Savior. I just think that's remarkable. Many of us tell a gospel about smart people who figured it out. I ran to Jesus and got on my knees and asked him to come into my heart. And boy, isn't it good I figured this out. But the gospel that we see revealed in Mark and the gospel that the apostles are being trained to take is a God who shows up to people who are hostile toward him and loves and saves them anyway. That he breaks into the brokenness of our lives, the storms, and he calms the seas, and he rebukes the demons, and he casts them out, and then he makes us clean and whole and pure and right. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him to go along. He obviously didn't feel very welcome. Jesus did not let him go, but he said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, who the Lord, how much he's done and how much he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis, that's the 10 cities, by the way, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed at the testimony. Jesus' urgent business here and his disciples, and he's going to go on more miraculous things than this. But it's to get to those people. And, and, and the complex nature of his discipleship, he doesn't say, yeah, get in the boat. Let's get you out of here. It's going to be hard for you here. They, don't, they, don't comfortable, they aren't comfortable with you anymore. But he says, no, go back. One more stop. He says, go back and be with your family. And, and many of us have had that experience where, where, where we, ex, ex, we encounter Jesus in such a powerful and real way, and then we go back to our family, and they don't understand. They, they can't do the math. I've known you since you were little. How are you all of a sudden different now? And you keep saying the same thing. I met this guy, Jesus. He changed everything. I, I, was, I was broken and hurting. I was hurting myself. It was an internal fight. You were fine. I wasn't fine. And we tell the story. And, and many times it falls on deaf ears. And yet, what else do we say? Jesus saves us. Jesus saves us. I don't know as you enter 2017, like where you're at in your life, right? I don't know how 2016 was. 
I'm confessing you. I'm one of those in 2016 saying, thank God it's over. Hopefully this one's better, right? For many, many reasons. But the truth is that nothing was a surprise to Jesus in that. And he was never absent in it. And whatever comes in 2017, he won't be absent. What storms are you facing in life? Um, what, you know, like, what bitterness has been coming up in, in us where we go, Jesus, we set out on a calm, nice day after a beautiful sermon, and then we hit a storm. What expectation, what expectation do we have that in the middle of the storm we say, this isn't worth it. Let's just go back. This is too hard. Do we have an understanding that Jesus has a plan for what lies ahead? That after the storm, there will be calmer seas, and then after that, there's going to be people. Oh, maybe. Or maybe a person. Maybe one person that God has in our path to me. This is the Messiah we follow, the one who commands the sea, the storms, the squalls, the rail, the, uh, the, the raging water, but the one who saves us in spite of it all. The one who loves us so much who would come to die for us. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I'm going to invite you to pray. Whatever is on your heart, not out loud, just in your head, pray. Talk to God about it. Bring it to Him. Don't be afraid to wake Him up. I love that. that that's like the, the disciples' action is like a prayerful action there, right? Jesus, don't you care if we drown? He's pleased to show us His plan. That we not, not pray that the seas always be calm, that we might pray that we always recognize that Jesus is with us. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for who you are. And we've come here today to worship you and not ourselves, to celebrate you and not what we can do or what you have done. And so Father God, today, we just bring to mind those storms in our life, those hardships, those difficulties, those things that, that maybe even someone else would say, that's not even a big storm, but for us it's huge. Or maybe others would say, wow, this is a big storm. I, I don't know where to start. And my cars seem small. I pray, Father God, that we're not the kind of people to see this in the scale of how big one storm is for the other, but how big the storms are compared to you. Father God, we believe that you command the storms in our life. And we believe that you can rebuke them. For our friends who are gathered here today that need you just to stand up and rebuke, we pray that you would do so, that you would stand up and rebuke it. For those who are gathered here today who just identify with that man that's living alone in the tombs, has been hurting and, you know, kind of hopeless, I mean, coming and saying, don't, don't bring me another false promise, Father. We pray against false promises. We pray only for the true, beautiful, holy, precious, demanding love of Jesus Christ that you, Father, would go to those who are gathered here in their pain, their brokenness, their isolation, and that you would just redeem them, that you would cast out those spirits that were against us, that we would be seen in our right mind and ready to follow you. Father, your word is so powerful, and we give you uh, honor for it, the gift of your word. We pray that it wouldn't just be text on a page or words in the air, but it'd be lived out in our lives. Pray that all of us would enter into that space of belief with you, knowing 
that you have indeed saved us from our sins. For the cross that we could not ever have done, ever thought of, or ever uh, survived, we give you thanks and praise. May your blood, the blood you shed, that sin might be forgiven, cover all of our sins and set us free. Free in your name. May be glorified as we continue to follow you in Jesus' name.